Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Alan. Well, I thought this morning, just uh, for charity, we'd auction off a... No, I'm just joking. Um, uh, we have been given graciously about 40 rolls of toilet paper um, that are just at the front of the church. If you are in need, or if you have a neighbour that you know is in need of some toilet paper, please take one... Um, if you really need to, you could take two. Um, thanks to Steve Andrewatha, who was able to get some for us. So we have some at the church. We've got enough for now. Um, but if you do need some, please, um, just at the very in the foyer, um, please feel free to take a, 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 a roll without any guilt at all. No guilt at all. Now, I was at a conference uh, last year. When I first heard something that grabbed my attention, I thought, yep, that's it. I've got it. That's what I've been looking for. It wasn't a program. It wasn't a fancy acronym. It wasn't anything that uh, made me go, I can remember that really easily because it's set out in some pictorial way. Um, rather, it was just two words. Two words that help me understand the reason why a church grows and develops and flourishes into a loving community of believers. Two words that perhaps you can relate to, and I hope in some way you can relate to. And those two words are needed and known. Known and needed. We all have a longing to be known. We all have a need to be known and long to be known and needed. We've been created for community. This is the very essence of God as Father, Son, Spirit. One of my favourite words that describes that relationship of the Trinity is this word perichoresis. And it's derived from a Greek word that, that means rotation or, or going around. And it's a beautiful Image. I, I get when I hear that word. I get this image of this triune dance, the Trinity just doing this beautiful dance together, where they are such in such beautiful union that each person of the Trinity is equal in every way. They are known by one another, and each part of the triune God is needed in this beautiful dance. To dislodge one of them is to dislodge the relationship of being known and needed. And in this dance, each is intimately known and each is needed that the dance may be complete. 
And in all your areas of life, you'll know that being known is vital for feeling that you're included and valued. Being known is vital. I remember when uh, I was back at university and we were herded like uh, cattle into the, although it was a cattle sheds at the time, at the uh, Mel- at Melbourne show um, grounds. And that was for our uni exams from Melbourne Uni. We sat down and the first things we were asked to do, we had rows and rows and rows of chairs. And the first things we were asked to do was to write our student number on the top of the page. We all had a student number. We never, ever wrote our names throughout our whole exam period at university. As far as being known, that was not something that we could expect within the thousands of young people that were taking exams. However, once the exam finished and we congregated outside with our smaller group of friends, we were able to share our experiences, um, we were able to use each other's names, we were able to cry on each other's shoulders, except for that one person that always came out and said, oh, I aced that. Have you ever had that? <laughs> There's always one. It was never me. <laughs> Needless to say, they, they didn't get a whole lot of our time, but all of a sudden we went from just being a number to being someone who was known. When I was in the UK, I had uh, two youth interns, and one of them, I was a youth and, young, uh, youth and children's um, pastor, sort of overseeing the, the whole youth and children's ministry. Um, but I had two interns, and, but one of them's name was Jim. Now, Jim turned up at church as this young guy on his first morning. I introduced myself, said hello, and um, that was great. It was nice to meet him and all that sort of thing. Jim came the following week. I went up to him and said, hi, my name's Pete. It's nice to meet you. Are you new here? I totally forgot him. Totally forgot him. It happened a couple of times, but the problem was the first week we chatted in depth about Bible college that he wanted to go to, about all these things he was hoping to do, about doing an internship somewhere in a local church, all these things. And I got really excited about this. And the following week I forgot him. The week after, or a couple of weeks after, we went on this big camp with people from all over the UK just descending on this camp. And Jim was there. Now, Jim looked like another guy named Jim uh, as well. There's two Jims, one that went to a church down the road. And I mixed him up for this other Jim at this big camp. So Jim comes up to me, Jim, hey, it's nice to see you. And oh, just like his name was Jim. And, uh, and we started talking, and it, pretty, it was pretty evident pretty quickly that this wasn't the Jim that I was expecting it to be. <laughs> Three times... Three times I got this poor Jim totally wrong. I treated him like he was brand new. I treated him as if he wasn't known at all. How do you think he felt? Well, I'll tell you how he felt, because he was a funny guy and he didn't stop telling me how he felt for the following two years. Because he did become an intern with me, and uh, after that, he has been serving at Loxheath Free Church for the last 10 years since we left as their youth uh, pastor or their associate pastor for youth. And he's uh, an amazing man of God who is um, doing amazing work. But I wouldn't have blamed him if after the third time he just went, I'm going to find another church, this guy. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. You can probably sense it already. You know when you feel, uh, you know how you feel when someone sort of doesn't remember your name or someone hasn't in your work hasn't really ever spoken to you after a month of being there. Being known within community is vital, isn't it? It's vital. 
Being needed is just as vital. When someone is empowered to do something that they're passionate about or given an opportunity to explore their gifts and their abilities, those people begin to shine, don't they? You would have seen it before. When people feel like they're needed, it connects them to uh, the community that they're a part of in a deeper way. And all of a sudden, they, they move from being on an edge of community right into being a core part of the community. As a young Christian, I was just learning guitar. Um, I wasn't going so well at it, but I could strum a few chords. And there was a guy at my church in Dingley. Um, he was, his name was Simon. He was, a, he was a fantastic guitarist. And he had this ovation guitar. I don't know if you know ovation. It's got a round back, and it was just beautiful. It had shiny on the front. It was just the most beautiful guitar. And I looked up to Simon. Not just because he was a, a wonderful musician, but he was also a great Christian role model. And Simon came up to me and said, hey, Pete, do you want to come and play guitar with me at church? And so as a, a young fellow that didn't really know a whole lot about church, I didn't grow up in the church, but as a young fellow that had made a commitment to Jesus, he said, come and play with me. And regardless whether I was good enough, well, he thought I was good enough anyway, he invited me. He would teach me the chords that I didn't know and encouraged me, and he eventually started getting me to play some of the songs myself, doing the starts of songs, leading songs off. And through that time, I felt like I wasn't just making up the numbers, but I was, just, I was needed in that band. He could have held the band together by himself. He didn't need me, but I felt needed, and I was totally committed to it because he allowed me, empowered me to do this. And I felt myself, I was in my own uh, ability as a guitarist. I was getting better all the time anyway. Conversely, you've, been a part, you've probably been a part of a team, or you may have been a part of a team, where you feel like you're at a loose end. Have you ever had that feeling? Part of a group or a role or a job where you just, you don't get asked to do that much and you just feel like you're making up the numbers rather than having your potential seen. I remember hearing this from one of my leaders when I was in the UK, one of my youth leaders. I was leading various teams and, and one of the members of my youth team said to me, Pete, I feel like I'm being underused, therefore I feel undervalued in the team. And this girl came up to me and said, can I chat to you about it? Oh, was, wow. I mean, wow. I mean, the way that she did it was unbelievably respectful. I mean, she was feeling undervalued and she came to me in, in such a respectful way. I, I, I wish everyone that, that felt uh, that way could, could speak to each other in those sort of ways. But I learned something that was really important. Ne <clears throat> being needed is as important as being known. And we had a good chat about how maybe we could help her to re release her to be, find her full potential. So if we're to see our church grow and thrive, being known and being needed is vital. Imagine a church where every person feels known and sees their gifts being used as they thrive in serving. That'd be a great church, wouldn't it? You know, not just the, it's not just the church that will benefit if that is the case. The whole community around us is going to see God's kingdom shine. You know, the uh, needed plus known, so having these two things, it actually equals belonging. It actually means that you'll feel a sense of belonging. And our final core that we've been talking about of the church 
is that sense of belonging. We can use the churchy word called fellowship, I suppose. And perhaps we can think of, when we think of fellowship, I think back to my time at my first church at Dingley where we had the, the times of potluck dinners. We'd bring the dinners together into the big hall and, and we, uh, the, the food was always good because you just have a, a, a plate full of all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Um, the people that were on pea plates weren't allowed to eat the trifle because it was full of... Now, is it full of brandy? Is that what you put in trifle? Sherry, that's it, sherry. It was full of sherry, so we weren't allowed to touch it because we were on pea plates. Uh, <laughs> these were good. It was a sad because I loved it. Um, these were good times, and a whole lot of me misses those times. Our regulations around food handling causes us problems but, um, at the, at now, but, but back then it was just a great time, wasn't it? However, the word fellowships moved so much further beyond just having a meal together and enjoying some fun times chatting together. It moves to the equation that being needed plus being known equals belonging. This morning, I want us to look through Acts 2 that Alan read to us to understand the depths of belonging and to look at how we might establish this, especially in the face of the increasing isolation that the coronavirus is starting to bring. As people stay home, as people sort of feel like they they don't want to be part of the, the larger community at the moment. So let's pray and look into Acts chapter 2. So God, help us to understand your word this morning. Help us to understand how we may be known and needed, but also how we may embrace others, that they will be known and needed too. We pray that you help us understand what it means to belong this morning. Amen. You may have come across the Greek word koinonia, It's often used in the New Testament, uh, and it's translated fellowship um, 19 times. Um, 12 times, uh, it's, it's, sorry, 12 times it's translated fellowship, three times it's translated sharing, and it's translated twice participation and contribution. But our English words don't really uh, give that word koinonia real justice. So this morning, through the text and our exploration of, of this word koinonia, my hope is that we'll see that this fellowship, this idea of fellowship, is a little more. That it is this selfless immersion into each other's lives. Finding a way of belonging Because the reality of sitting in a church where we have 300 or so people gather is that you you can come to church, you can have a little chat after church and have a coffee, yet still feel totally isolated from the community that we sit in. I know it. I know it because at Newport, where I was pastor before here, I had people come to me and talk about the exact same thing. That everyone in a small church, the church was only about 50, everyone in that church knew everyone really well. If you were a newcomer, you knew it because you just stood out like a store thumb. (laughs) The church was beautiful, by the way. They loved newcomers to come and, and welcome. But people would come to me and say the exact same thing. I feel alone. I feel isolated. There was a social isolation that had happened. Conversations went no further than a weekly catch-up and there was no encouragement in faith and no stories being told that you could hold on to throughout your week. So if it happens in a church like Newport in a size of 50, it's going to be enhanced when we get to 300. 
But we don't need to live in that way. This week we've heard of um, the beginnings of total isolation. Yesterday was the first Saturday in years that I didn't go past the end of our driveway for the whole day. I stayed in our house the whole day. I went out and did a bit of the gardening. Basketball was cancelled, so there was no sport. Um, there was no reason to get out. I had enough toilet paper at home. <laughs> Coronavirus is, is, is isolating. And it's going to isolate our most vulnerable people, those with asthma, those with immunity issues, those who are f f slightly older or feeling more fragile. But the reality is that there's a spiritual isolation that happens already. And while it hasn't needed a worldwide pandemic or been created as a worldwide pandemic, it happens all over the place. Because regardless of the size of church, every church should be striving towards this belonging, to experience this koinonia, fellowship that selflessly immerses itself into the lives of one another. And the verses that were read to us this morning start to capture that essence, that essence of koinonia. And perhaps we can look at what this might look like if we experience koinonia here, if we live into it. So we might ask the question, what should we experience when we experience belonging? What should we experience when we experience true fellowship? What should we experience when we experience this koinonia? Acts 2 points to five functions of the early church that actually help us to become people who experience koinonia together. They both become people who are known and needed, a people of belonging. Before we get to the five points, though, there's one verse that's key in this, and it's verse 46, and it says this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The early church had already been through a lot. They'd just seen Jesus killed, witnessed his resurrection. At least 500 people had physically seen him, as well as the second-hand accounts. The disciples had seen Jesus ascend to heaven. Then nine days later, they witnessed this intense Pentecost moment where people spoke in different languages, there's fire on their heads, Holy Spirit descended upon everyone. Imagine being at that moment. Then straight after that, in Acts chapter 2, Peter, he rips out this intense sermon with this altar call that changes the world. And it says that his message cut to the heart of all the people listening. Thousands repented and were baptised then and there. That's a good sermon. That's <laughs> good for church growth. It'd be great to have this growth, wouldn't it? Although it mean we'd have to start a new building project um, straight away. Sorry, Tristan. <laughs> Straight after this explosive growth, we find the verses that Alan read to us this morning. How do you experience koinonia, this, this deep sense of togetherness, when you've got 300 people rocking up on your doorstep each Sunday morning? No, not 300, 3,000 the next morning. In verse 46, here's the answer. They did meet in the temple courts. Might have been busy. They had their church, but they didn't end it right there. They went from the large meeting where they met, and they went and met in their homes where they ate and broke bread. I wonder if true belonging can happen in a congregation of 3,000. I don't know. I wonder if true belonging can happen in a congregation of 300 or even 30. 
I wonder if it can only happen if you have smaller groups of people where you can find your belonging with. I wonder if in our context we should be looking to find our belonging within smaller groups of people that we can engage with um, in those five functions that we're about to talk about. This week our Prime Minister banned the meeting of non-essential gatherings over 500 people. We're not quite at 500 people, but it may not be long until we find ourselves needing to close our doors to larger crowds, as we said earlier. But it doesn't need to be a major problem because the early church didn't find their belonging through the large group alone. They experienced this fellowship through meeting in smaller groups in their homes. And as we've started looking deeper into small groups with Jeanette, I've calculated that probably about 40% of people, that'd be maximum, 40% of people in church are engaged in a small group at KSBC. Is that about right, Jeanette? 40, 30, 40? There are various reasons for this, for sure. But I wonder if, if we've got 60 to 70% of our community that's missing out on this deeper sense of belonging, of being known and needed. I wonder if our sense of koinonia extends only to the tups, cups of tea that we have after church. Perhaps this coronavirus may be the enforced catalyst to get us together beyond the Sunday gathering. It's forced us to consider a new way of church. Can you imagine where a church where all the people met in homes around the TV as we joined in worship together in many small groups throughout eastern Melbourne? Can you imagine having deeper discussions about the message with a small group of people over a meal after the Sunday morning service because you're already in the homes? It might have to get to that in the coming weeks and months. My hope is that we don't have to get to that. My hope is that we can still meet together because there's an encouragement in being in a, in a large group and worshipping together. But I already know of people who can't make it to church because they're not either feeling well themselves or have low immunity levels and just can't be, good or can't be around large groups at the moment. So for those people, what does church look like right now? Well, in the early churches, they met in the temple and in homes. They displayed five functions that perhaps we can start to implement as well. The first one is that they, open, they met openly and they met with excitement. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, in verse 46. The terms glad and sincere probably don't do the Greek words justice. They, don't just, they just don't express the fullness of what the writer was trying to say. The word glad um, that we get translated in Greek is agalasai. My Greek's a bit rusty. <laughs> it means something more about ecstatic delight or wild joy. We just say glad. It's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 1, verse 44, where John, John the Baptist, inside of Elizabeth's belly, leaps when Mary comes into the room and Jesus is in Mary's belly. It's like this belly party. <laughs> the child was glad? Well, no, there's an excitement about that leap. Something great has happened and this baby has leapt for joy. They met together, there was ecstatic joy. That's what the church did. They didn't just meet and say, we're glad we're here. There was a joy in being together. The word that we translate sincere here in the Greek is, uh, it's the only time in the New Testament that this word occurs. 
And it can be translated as singular in heart. It speaks to the oneness of heart that the believers who are meeting together were experiencing. They were sincere, they were open, they were honest, but they had a oneness of heart as well. They wanted to be together. They were there and they were excited to be together. They were there for the same purpose. In verse 47 it says, I was there praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. Wouldn't it be great to meet in a smaller group of people where on a weekly basis, fortnightly basis, maybe even monthly basis, whatever it works, where you're excited to meet, you're excited to praise God as you listen to the stories that, uh, that people share about what God's doing in their lives. How great would that be when you meet openly and excitedly? The second function is that they sought discipleship and they grew spiritually. They sought discipleship and they grew spiritually. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted. The word devoted here is more about a perseverance. They continued to steadfastly learn and grow. They went to the temples and listened to the apostles teach. But they went home into their smaller house communities and they would have started chatting about it. A devotion doesn't just speak to an intellectual basis. We don't just come to church to get a little bit of intellect, to grow a little bit in our mind and then go out and not do anything with that. We come to church, we fellowship together to rub shoulders with one another, to hear a message, hear the word of God preached, to worship together, to sing and to go out that we might be changed people, that we might be new people, that we might be people that help one another to work out what it looks like to be Jesus in the community around us. And especially now, the community needs Jesus more than ever. It's a new way of living that's happened within a week. And all of a sudden, people need something more. They need to see Jesus. Our world has had the most rapid change in how we need to communicate in this generation. And we need to come to grips with this for the immediate future. Like I said before, if you're not able to meet in this building in the next couple of weeks, that's okay. But perhaps you can connect with others from KSBC who might be nearby you or might be able to, you might be able to share together or to pray together, to encourage one another. You might be able to work out how to use Facebook Live, uh, not Facebook, uh, the, the YouTube Live. It's going at the moment. I can see myself on the computer there. So if, if you're logged into to, is anyone logged into it? No because you're all focused here. That's really good. It's really good. <laughs> so it's going. I'll put, it, I'll put it on the Facebook page. It's all there. So um, all you young people will be gone there now. Go, oh, it's on. It might not be working. It might just be me looking at myself over there. <laughs> um, but, but to get around and have a look at, at the sermons online. It's not an excuse not to come to church, by the way. It's not an excuse not to come to church. But if that's the case, there are options and when you may not have an opportunity to engage in the life community, look at what's going to look like to, me, to, to devote yourself to prayer, to devote yourself to the teachings of the scriptures, to devote yourself to your own scripture readings, that you may be more like Jesus now. The third function 
uh, that we have is that they served one another. They gave to one another as they had a need. And the church met together, they became an outlet for the support of one another. You know, when we were kids playing footy, if, uh, if we had uh, to run laps because we were either trained badly or we'd played badly on the weekend, our, our coach would make us run laps. But as we ran laps, we were always told that we were to leave no teammate behind. Run as fast as the slower pl- slowest player, they said. And that was frustrating for those who were good runners. It was great for those of us who weren't so good runners and hated running. Unless you were the last runner. I was never the last runner, but I was, it, was, it, was, it always made me feel good. Um, the early church, they didn't leave anyone behind. They ministered to those who were in need. They shared meals. They distributed toilet rolls to the needy. <laughs> they looked for out for one another as the needs arose. Koinonia is not just about getting together and having a meal. It's making sure that the meal meets the needs of the people in the group. It's a way to uphold those who are struggling emotionally, physically, or spiritually. A couple of weeks ago, well, it was probably a couple of months ago, I had a, a, a problem with a fuse in my car. And I thought you could just grab a fuse out of one spot and plug it into another one. It didn't look like there was anything on the, on the diagram to say you could do that, that it mattered. And, and it, it stopped the car from running altogether. The car just wouldn't go. I'm like, oh no, my car's broken now. I fixed the, the cigarette lighter. Not that I needed the cigarette lighter for... But, uh, <laughs> So I called someone that I knew would be able to help me, and I called Leon. And Leon just goes, did you put the fuse back? I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do that. And guess what, it worked. It was fantastic. And Leon didn't go to me, Pete, what are you thinking? Are you serious? How would you even think that would work? Leon, in a gracious and humble way, he said, you can just put the fuse back and it should work again. But he didn't do this, that. I, that was a blessing anyway. He didn't do that. He came the following week with, uh, to church with a little, little bunch of fuses that I won't have to ever touch the other fuses ever again <laughs> that I can now use. What a blessing that was. What a blessing. It was a ma- it may, I don't know, probably a small gesture to you, Leon, but it was massive for me. It really was. And I, I thank you for it. When we're seeking to be an outlet of support to one another, we realise that we belong. We realise that we are unknown and needed in this space. We realise that fellowship moves beyond just the potluck and it, it moves into the selfless insertion of one another's life. All right, quickly, number four. <clears throat> Together they served in mission and evangelism. And it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know what, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? One of the things that we want to do as a church is to bless our community. What we want to do is want to um, make sure that we're uh, keeping an ear out for those in the community. This week, um, I was at a, an appointment. Solari uh, went and got a coffee with Kyra, <clears throat> and I called her up and said, where are you after my appointment? She said, I'm just having a coffee in the centre. And so I went into the centre, and lo and behold, she's sitting there with Rusty. Who's Rusty? I didn't know who Rusty was, and Solari didn't know who Rusty was, but Rusty and Kyra were having a game of pick-up sticks. How beautiful was that? It, it filled a need in Rusty. Because Rusty was just this beautiful man. It turns out he's a minister, a minister of a, um, a liberal Catholic church. I'd never heard of it before, but there you go. Um, and he just was chuffed that this young girl would play pick-up sticks with Kyra. It was a beautiful thing. So we had a great conversation about um, faith and journey and that sort of thing. It was wonderful. But because Solari stepped out and went, yep, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm going to seek to be Jesus in the community. And she had a wonderful time. So thanks, Larry. The fifth thing is <clears throat> they worshipped. 
They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And they were praising God. The life of the early church was a life of worship. Whether they were in the large environment or in the small environment, they spent their time worshipping. See, Koinonia moves past the just being together. It moves to a depth of spirituality that builds one another up as people of worship. Belonging, being known and needed, is more than just the meal. Belonging is more than just seeing some people after church. Belonging is a deep, deep and <clears throat> is a developing, deepening, selfless relationships that immerse into other people. I wonder if that's something you've been longing for. I wonder if something you're really keen for. It might be a good time to consider a small group. You might think, well, how do I get into a small group? It might be that you think, there's a few people around me that aren't in small groups. We could join us. We could start a small group. We'd love to speak to you about it. There are no hard and fast rules about being in a small group. In May, we're going to do a series called uh, Jesus the Game Changer. And our hope is that we can get majority of people into a group, at least for that six weeks where we do that, that series together as a church. We'll have more about that in the coming weeks. There's five functions of finding deep belonging, and that ends our core series. We're going to go into Easter as of next week and leading up into Holy Week. But to close, I wanted to recap just very quickly the the core series, because I think you'll connect something together. Because we explored today, um, whether in a large group or a small group, um, we have five functions of those groups. And over the past five weeks, we've had five cause of being the church. They're exactly the same. <laughs> we had worship, giving glory to God. Oh, we'll go by week. We had discipleship in our first week, devoting ourselves to growth in Christ. We had worship, giving glory to God in all we do. We had missionalism, we called it, mission and evangelism, sharing the good news. We had uh, last week that we were created to serve, so serve as Jesus did. And this week, we have this idea of koinonia, a selfless immersion into the lives of others. They're vital for the wider church, but they're also vital for smaller groups of people together. So whether you're here in this large church as a, as a gathering, five cores that we can't forget, or whether you're in your small group, five cores that you can't forget, or if you're individual in your own life, these are five cores that you can't forget. Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you so much that we have the opportunity to hear your word and to be part of your kingdom growth here in this space. We pray, Lord, that as we uh, move into these uncertain times, you help us to continue to remember that these five cores don't change. They're core for a reason. Help us to live these out, whether we are in church here, whether we're in small groups together, whether we're having a coffee with a friend at a cafe, or whether we're on our own worshipping you. Help us to live out these five cores. In Jesus' name, amen.